okay, I'm doing everything my doctor told me to. I'm starving myself essentially. and I'm not saying this. What am I doing wrong? Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. The skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. In today's episode, we talk with Ariel Johnston. She's a registered dietitian in Kansas City, and she's nearing completion of the requirements for her CEDS credential, the Certified Eating Disorder Specialist. Now, you may have heard that the CEDRD and the CEDRN and the CEDCAT, or Creative Arts Therapist, are all merging into one credential, the CEDS, or Certified Eating Disorder Specialist. And this makes good sense. Consider the Certified Diabetes Educator, which is now the CDCES, that whether you're a pharmacist or a therapist or a social worker or a dietitian, you all share the same credential. So there's lots in here from Ariel about her undergrad path and how choosing the right supervisor is important. We talk a lot about teachers, treatment programs, insurance, 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 the woes that we have as dietitians, as well as some other diagnoses. But we do talk a lot. We drop a lot of names or a lot of shout outs about our supervision, our supervisors, past and present. So listen in just to hear how Ariel navigates a common topic that you heard in the opening, how to help a client when they feel like they're doing everything that they should and they're still not getting results. Well, hello. We are here today with Ariel Johnston and very excited to have you here with us. Yes, I'm so excited. It's an honor to be able to speak with both of you. (laughs) All right. And so I did, I do want to preface that there's something going on. I think I have a cold. I don't know what it is, but I didn't want to miss out on talking with Ariel today. So we're just dealing with it. We're just dealing with the voice (laughs) and all of it. So just for everybody listening to know. So Ariel, just to warm up a little bit, we have a couple of questions. Mountains or beach? I think that's a funny question because we're in Kansas City. So (laughs) (laughs) we're we're stuck in the middle of nothing. Yes. So I'd say mountains though. Yeah. And then (laughs) breakfast or dinner? Dinner, maybe. Yeah. What's your, if you could go out for dinner in Kansas City, I'm curious, where would you go? Uh, I'm not, I'm like a bad foodie in that I haven't gone to a lot of restaurants, I feel like. I don't really know. It would probably be somebody, someplace with a great patio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have yeah. you been to Martin City Brewery? I have. Yeah. That oh, one is so fun. good. That's mm-hmm. my go to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The wood fire pizza. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I wonder with mountains when you said that, because you like to hike with yeah. your dog and like to hike. It's funny. And I don't know if we'll get into this. So we lived in Australia for four years. And so we were right by the beach. And so my husband really likes the beach. And I'm like, I want the mountains though. So maybe Kansas City is a great compromise where we have neither. I don't know. <laughs> like the worst compromise or. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I didn't know that. Yeah. That you were in Australia for four years. 
Well, welcome back to Kansas City. We're really glad to have you here. And my my last icebreaker question is audiobook or paper book? Oh, paper for sure. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Do you ever listen to things by audio? I do listen to a lot of podcasts. So yeah, it's funny that we're recording one. I listen to yeah. a lot of them. And yeah, I think it's such a great way that like I just tune into some on my drive. But if I'm going to read a book, I mean, I like a lot of fiction too. I, I'm probably like a lot of people where I buy a ton of books. <laughs> And then yes. we'll see if I get around to them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Well, I'm going to take you back. Hopefully this is not too traumatizing to ask you this question, <laughs> but you're a registered dietitian, yes? Mm-hmm. I'm going to take you back to exam day. What do you remember from it? Was it a number two pencil or a keyboard? It was a keyboard. It was a testing site really close to my house. So that was nice. I didn't tell anybody when I was going to take the test. So that helped. I remember getting, cause it was the first time that I'd been to one of those testing sites. And I weirdly remember getting like, almost like patted down. They had to like look in your pockets and everything. And you just like feel guilty. <laughs> but yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Just that sense of relief right after. Yeah. Huge. I mean, Abby was telling me with hers cause Abby's been a dietitian since October of 2020. So she's uh-huh. really new. And this is what the podcast is bringing together people newer to the field and those who've been around for a while, but also, you know, that, that shared experience when I was at number two pencil, when Mm -hmm. I took my test. So it was a book that you broke the seal. Maybe yours was the same. I don't know, but she said something about, you said something, Abby, about glasses, like they're checking for cameras or Mm -hmm. I don't know. When you said padded down Ariel, I thought, Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah. there's so much more technology these days. They like scan your handprint. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You're like, I'm not, you just feel kind of guilty. (laughs) I'm not trying to do anything, but yeah. Yeah. Kind of a funny thing. All right. Well, tell us what, how did you get into the field of, of nutrition first Mm -hmm. off? And then what did you, when did you start with eating disorders or what got you interested in it? And what did your undergrad or graduate or your training teach you about eating disorders or not? Yeah. Okay. So I got into the field of nutrition kind of in a roundabout way because I actually went back to school for dietetics. My first degree was international relations, which I don't know what I really wanted to do with that. I think I was just 18 and was like, (laughs) I guess I'll go to college and this is what I'll pick kind of thing. So I went back to school. So growing up, I always played basketball and played basketball in college. And I think that was what really like, you know, nutrition is so stressed in sports, but like we never ever had any dietitian talk to us about like what actually to eat. It was more just like coaches and parents being like, eat well. And it's like, well, what does that mean? (laughs) How, how can I eat to kind of help my performance? So I think like really struggling myself between that desire to perform well, but then also being stuck between diet culture and like kind of what the female athlete body quote unquote should look like. I'm so struggling with that. So I think after I graduated with my bachelor's in international relations. We, that's when we moved to Australia. I got a job there and then was just thinking more about like, what do I actually want to do at that point and figured out that nutrition and dietetics was kind of really interested me. And I think like a lot of people, you know, really not knowing what I wanted to specialize in that point, I had no idea I wanted to go into eating disorders at all, but it kind of makes sense now, like looking back at my life. (laughs) how I kind of got led to there. So started 
undergraduate at K-State, continued taking classes. We moved back to the States and then I did my internship with Iowa State. And yeah, I think through my internship too, I still don't think I like had this like light bulb moment of like eating disorders. That's it. That's what I want to do. I think it's just like a series of these small events. So I interned at ED care, a treatment center here in Kansas city. And I think that's at that time I was like, okay, now it's kind of clicking. This is what I want to do and kind of go into that field. So yeah, kind of a roundabout way, but yeah. That's so funny. I did mine at Iowa State as well. Yes, I loved it because it's good and bad because you get to pick where you want to go in a sense, but then you have to set up your rotations. Setting up your rotations is a beast in its own and Mm -hmm. then let alone the internship. But yeah, I really enjoyed that program. Yeah, it was awesome. And then you mentioned in your blog and on your website that you started getting really interested in food just from cooking and baking with your mom, right? Yes. Yeah. So always just kind of had an interest in food. I kind of like the joke on my website that my mom never minded a mess in the kitchen. (laughs) So like, I I mean, I remember when we were little, we actually did like 4-H and I had like, I don't know, like butter and milk biscuits in the county fair kind (laughs) of thing. So it's it always been like uh, something that she encourages to do, and I think even now I kind of geek out on like the science of food a little bit in the, like the baking and cooking and things like that. So, and kind of on like the culinary side for a while, I was working as a sous chef while in school as well. So, <laughs> not with any like actual training, but I was just kind of thrown in there. <laughs> so that was really fun, and it is nice to be able to speak to like both sides with clients if they. They're like, how do I cook this? I'm like, well, hugely. And on on your Instagram and it's just so fun to see the different foods that you have. And you've had classes for moms and daughters on cooking and Mm -hmm. just so much fun to be able to have that connection with the sous being a sous chef and registered dietitian also. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of the, I don't know. My joke was like, Cause I was doing it at the culinary center and they do classes and they were always like, do you want to teach an adult class? And I'm like, I want to do the kids. Cause the kids aren't going to ask me any hard cooking. <laughs> and like, I don't know, like some of the intense, you know, culinary things. So I'm like, give me the kids. That'll be, that'll be. More yeah. Fun. And you don't need to, because that's part of just the fun of, of having fun in the kitchen. And we know with eating disorders that you can't, you yeah. can't have fun in the kitchen. It's very intense, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So how did you come up with Tasty Balance for your name? Uh, good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it just, it kind of sums up, I guess, like food philosophy, just in a name there. Like you want to make food taste good. You want to have the balance of like, I kind of, on my website, I think I have like, that. you want to have the balance of like the chocolate, the red wine, and maybe like a salad every once in a while. So yeah. having, having both of those, well, just with that, really that emphasis on, yeah, you want to enjoy food and have it taste good. So for sure. Well, how did you, how did you learn? Were you taught things in your undergrad about eating disorders? Were you taught, then how do you keep yourself learning today? Yeah. And what having your resources, you know, yeah. that's what I think newer people may want right. to hear. Okay. Yeah. I remember, and Abby, this might be a question for you too. I think her name was Allison St. Germain. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she, in our internship, we had like a week in orientation week. And I 
remember that was the first time that I was ever exposed to Haze as a concept. Yeah. Um, does she have a talk with you guys as yeah. well? Yeah, she's like a big voice for Haze. She's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And for those who are listening who may not know what Haze means, go ahead and explain that. So Haze being health, staying for health at every size, just the concept that, yeah, you can be healthy at every size. We're not necessarily looking at weight as a metric or as an outcome, counseling more for, yeah, relationship with food and kind of reducing some of that weight stigma in the field. So, right. yeah, that's kind of my first exposure to that concept. So she planted that seed and then I think I didn't hear anything else for a while <laughs> until I did my internship with ED Care. My preceptor there, Kate Burkhart, shout out to her. She was awesome. So she kind of like introduced more of that, that concept there and just kind of dove in from, from there. Yeah. yeah. I think that that's unusual for, I, I not positive. So anybody correct me if I'm wrong about this, but health at every size is not always taught in the undergrad or graduate or even internship programs. And so it's super important as we move forward in working with those who are struggling with disordered eating and eating disorders is to move away from kind of that weight centric of, of what we, so many of us have been trained back in the day when I, it's all about weight control or weight loss or weight management. And, and that's still pervasive in our world. I just still get surprised when I hear of anyone, a clinician or a client who has never heard of health at every size. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish it was something that was taught more routinely, for sure. Yeah, because I think that was my only exposure, both undergrad and in the internship was kind of that one. I think she spoke for like a half an hour, hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Ariel, did you notice when you were in Australia, was the culture of dieting different there than it is in America? Oh gosh, that's kind of, it's an interesting question. I have thought about that, but it's weird because I wasn't in the field at that time. So I think what I was looking for, like my blinders were definitely still on, right? With diet culture. I think it's probably very similar. There's very much that wellness culture, I think there. I think the way they approach food is pretty similar to the States as well. Gosh, I'm trying to think back, but because I know I was very steeped in diet culture at that time too. So I think it, it's kind of a interesting thing to think about, but I think it's, it's pretty similar, pretty across the board. And that's a great question, Abby, because we, you know, we want to have this human experience and it can be universal, but also understanding the cultural differences. And um, if you've attended or talked to Fiona Sutherland, attended any of her work in Australia, you get a sense that it is, like Ariel said, very similar. Or um, shout out to the podcast willing to be wrong with Dr. Josh Woolrich. He is a surgeon, but also is, has come around. I think he talks about his Instagram handle, what used to be unfattening, how hard it was for him to change that, but how he is fully on board with health at every size mm-hmm. and intuitive eating. Yeah, that is so interesting, though, that just the concept of like, what is diet culture like in these different cultures? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know sometimes I use this example with clients. I know it's it's an excerpt in the Health at Every Size book, um, just the studies that have been done with like different cultures, feelings and thoughts around food, that study where they asked, what do you think of chocolate cake? Americans said guilt, and I think it was like the French said celebration. 
So I do wonder like, yeah, are there different, yeah. How diet culture affects different, different cultures like that. And is, is there more of a reverence for food and, and yeah. I love that example. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. It is so different. And I bet within the French culture and within the American culture, you could ask that same question and get different answers just based on the individual's yeah. life experience. Yeah, totally. And and it's, it's interesting because, I mean, she uses it to talk about how Americans were so health focused because I think they, in that study, there was another couple ones where it was like eggs and what Americans thought of was like cholesterol <laughs> and like other cultures were like omelets. <laughs> so uh-huh. Yeah, just that irony that, yes, we're so health-focused, so weight-centric, but when you look at, like, where we are as a nation, you know, is that is that focus on that, that micro-focus helping us? Right, and I'm terrible at social media. Everyone who knows me knows that, and I can't say it's my age because there are people my age who are doing much better than me, (laughs) but I also know as a self-care that that's not something that I want to spend my time on because I am already spread thin and really just wanting to learn. But one one of my posts is a picture of pasta with a tomato, a cherry tomato, and um, a basil leaf. And it's just this beautiful, colorful, whatever. And the question was, what is, what do you see when you look at this? Mm -hmm. And it was all around a relationship too. I was at the Getty Museum in California, one of the Gettys, and went to this, before I went in, I went to a little film showing that says how to get the most out of your experience in this museum. And what they, what they said, it was a Henry David Thoreau comment that says, it's not what you look at. It's what you see. So Mm -hmm. that gave me a little bit of a break to be able to look at the art and not have to look at different textures and colors and feel like I know what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter. It's what my experience is of that artwork that matters. So when somebody's looking at that pasta with the beautiful colors and the cherry tomato and that different people are going to have different, you could probably ask a hundred people and have a hundred different explanations of what that might look like for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good to like kind of think of too, with different clients, everybody's going to have their own perception of each type of food, like quote unquote, what is healthy, what is not kind of working with them and, and, figuring out where do those beliefs come from? Why do you see it that way? Yeah. And one of our episodes is talking about transference, countertransference. Like I may have a different experience with that pasta, but, and in the room with the client, it's really finding out what their experience is mm-hmm. and not projecting onto them what, what yeah. we think. I mean, you mentioned Ariel, you're a basketball player. You were a basketball player. And so I could have, opinions about what I know about basketball players and collegiate athletes, your experience is, I can't make any assumptions about what that was like for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's something too, that like, as like I continue to practice, I catch myself and get better out of like, okay, hold my assumptions, hold my advice. Like just giving advice, like, is that actually helping? Just like, you should do this. It's more like, helping them come to that realization a little bit. I think that's something like I continually learn and have to check myself on too, of like, you should do this. <laughs> yeah. How did you learn that? I mean, I'm, I'm just want to know how, your evolution. Oh gosh. That slow one. <laughs> I think 
a lot of it is like, we were talking about the supervision piece. A lot of it is being able to be like, okay, talk, talking to my supervisor and being like, this is, I didn't, she's like, well, why, why? And a lot of those questions of what are my motives behind that? What am I bringing into our session? That's motivating me to be like, you need to do this or not do this, or And just kind of looking at it, I think from that perspective has definitely helped. And I think just more experience and yeah learning that I'm definitely not always right. And what I think they should do isn't always going to work. Right. (laughs) Exactly. So with supervision, how did you find out about that's not something that RDs know about? Yeah. So I think once I dove into the eating disorder field, like that's something I think more definitely in the eating disorder field that's talked about that we've, I don't know, in my eye, I kind of think maybe we adopted it a bit from like therapists, which is awesome because that, that's what they kind of have to do. So when you talk to a therapist about supervision, they totally know what they're talking about. But exactly. if, you talk, if you go talk to a dietitian, it's like, what is that concept? And I think it's something that could benefit dietitians in like all different fields, not just eating disorders for sure. I know for me, so my supervisor, Sarah Gleason, she's in St. Louis and we first got hooked up through the Missouri Eating Disorders Council when they were doing, group, she was doing group supervision. So I was in one of her groups and we just clicked. I really liked her style and liked who she was as a person and thought, because I think that's something important too, to think about uh, who you want as your supervisor, who you can click with, who you can be authentic with, who you can ask those tough questions with. So I'd kind of identified her as that and set up. So I think I've got in like, part of the motivation behind supervision at the beginning, to be honest, was like, just so I could work on my specialty, get my CED, RD. And now after doing it, I think I have all my hours for it, but I'm like, I need to continue doing this for sure. Like <laughs> continue throughout my whole entire career. It was a great way to get started. And now I'm like, yeah, this is so valuable. I'm so glad that you had the ability to, to do that because it, with the Missouri Eating Disorders Council, that's a free Mm-hmm. supervision for a bit and group supervision for anyone. And supervision is not just for certification. And I think you alluded to that, Ariel, that even if and when you become certified, that you that's something that you want to continue. It's a way that we all stay connected and keep learning. And so one of the things is can be the cost. Mm-hmm. And to be able to find some free options for, for the group supervision, they are around in the country and then to find that forever group that you just want to make sure that you stay with. And it may not just be a group, but maybe that you're reaching out to Sarah for like a 30 minute consultation about something. Yeah. I mean, like for an example, like this past week, I had like a difficult email from a parent and I was like, I don't know how to respond. Let me talk to Sarah, talk this out first, and then I'll respond. Exactly. Exactly. It's just a huge support. And it is the whole idea of supervision is from the therapy training perspective. They all know it, they all do it. And here we're working with a biopsychosocial illness of um, an eating disorder. It's not just medical nutrition therapy. And I don't want to minimize medical nutrition therapy when I say just. It, there's a little more science behind it. And then when you bring in eating disorders or disordered eating, it's a whole lot of psychology and emotion. Yeah. And how do we navigate that? Yeah. And like, and Beth, I know this is something that you had mentioned before that you had actually sought out supervision from like Whitney Trotter. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is such a good idea. And I just, I admire that in you that you're, you're a lifelong learner for sure. And just Mm. like 
yeah, I think that's the coolest thing to be able to be like, what don't I know? Yeah. Still. Yeah. Yeah. And to, to be honest with, with anyone who I'm seeking supervision with, whether it's gender or color or diversity in other areas, they will let you know that they are one voice. They don't represent their whole Mm -hmm. culture. Um, And even within the culture of color, there's different shades Mm -hmm. and there's different caste systems within that as well. So it's just what I did with Whitney too was, was actually about a client that I was working with. And I, I, I want to know my blind spots and I can't know them. And some of the information that she shared with me was very eye opening. And I just took copious notes. It's expensive to do this kind of thing. And I think that I, we have to also know our limitations on our experience you know, how much we're putting out there as well. But I could take some of that and then got some information about how she does her assessments and the questions that she asks that are culturally sensitive that I wouldn't have thought of. And so giving her the credit as well as any other supervisors, Taylor Craven is another one that I reached out to for gender and making sure that I I am asking those questions And in my membership, so I have supervision groups, I have individual supervision, and then I'm rolling out a membership very soon that each month there'll be some content. And so when I put out that content, for example, an assessment form, it's going to have names of people that I have reached out for supervision to say, this is what Whitney Trotter does to help and be inclusive. And here's what Taylor Craven does or other folks. I love that. Yeah. Cause I think that was something, I don't think until you said that, that I was like, I think in my mind, I was like, I'll just stay with my one supervisor and just like, Oh, I can get supervision from all these other people as well that are coming. from oh, different Yeah. Yeah. So for certification or not, you can get supervision if you're doing certification from a therapist for 25% of your hours. So someone outside of your discipline or a medical doctor, and then yeah, just lifelong learning with that. And then finding a good peer peer consultation group mm. that includes a therapist if possible if at all possible a medical provider but that's really really hard isn't it yeah yeah that's kind of goal for sure kind of cultivating that that support mm-hmm. um, yeah because i think yeah. private practice can just be kind of isolating so being able to kind of pull those people in and and be able to talk about those cases yeah Hugely, Ariel. I'm going to say when I worked at the Children's Hospital, I had my folks there all the time. Mm -hmm. And then moving into private practice, it is isolating. And I hear that from other clinicians around the world, actually, is that it's that's another reason for this podcast is a way that I get to stay connected with folks. And I still meet up with my friends at Children's, the Children's Hospital to see what's new. I learned about nutrition focused physical therapy or not nutrition focused physical exam, physical exam. And (laughs) yeah. And F. PE when I was at the children's hospital, because I didn't learn that in undergrad at all. And then when you get out into the world, you're like, okay, this was fairly new. I don't know. Did you both, you probably both learned that in undergrad Mm -hmm. or your internship. More so in the internship, definitely. Yeah. And I kind of think 
I think it was fairly new even when I was going through my internship because I remember my preceptor, I don't think, and she had just fairly recently graduated. I don't think they were teaching them that at that time anyway. Mm -hmm. So, And then insurance. And that's something that most definitely had not been something back in the early 90s when I was first doing private practice. And now, Ariel, you accept some insurances and you have some associates. Tell us about that. Yeah. So the insurance piece has been a learning curve for sure. I don't do my own billing. I think that's something that like when I first started with private practice, a lot of the other dietitians that I had talked to all did their own billing. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to learn how to be an awesome dietitian and do my own billing. I don't know if I can do it. And I didn't. Um, <laughs> I've been through a few billers, but I've, I've landed on some ones that I think are amazing and awesome and, and they know their, their stuff. So I think that's one, again, a learning curve in private practice is like knowing when to ask for help and outsource on some of this stuff. So it it is a cost, but I think for me, what it provides to the clients, it's one less barrier to treatment because that's a huge issue in eating disorders, right? So I wish, you know, in in our area, so I'm taking like United, Cigna, and Humana, which are pretty big payers in our area. The biggest one, Blue Cross Blue Shield, haven't had any luck with success getting a network. So I think, you know, that's something down the pipeline, hopefully to do maybe some more advocacy with that, because that would just be one less barrier, you know, that people have to worry about. It, it just helps me as well, just to be able to be like, yeah, we can, I don't have to bill you for this. We can just bill Mm -hmm. your insurance kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And we're finding in the Kansas City area that that is like Blue Cross Blue Shield is, that's not a, it's not everywhere that it's hard for dietitians to be covered. Yeah. And I don't understand. That's the thing. <laughs> like, again, I'm like, billers, help me. I don't totally understand this whole world of insurance. And I think that's totally something that like, again, when I first started out, I was like, I gotta go to, I gotta know the ins and outs of all of this. And it's like, I don't have to, we can definitely rely on other people. So yeah, I know in different States and different areas, like even just Blue Cross Blue Shield of Kansas will allow dietitians and networks. So I don't know what the holdup is exactly. And in Columbia and Missouri, right? Yeah. They're, yeah. they're fine there, but for some reason, Kansas City is not. So it's a whole lot to know, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So hopefully, fingers crossed in the future, that can be something that can be added. Because I think, again, when I first started in private practice, I, I didn't take insurance for a while. And then after a while, I was like, I think this will be something that's going to be really helpful. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And so I want to go back, it kind of relates to this, but more so MNT focused medical nutrition therapy. You work with PCOS patients as well. So polycystic ovarian syndrome. Do you see that there are instances with a PCOS patient that also has like some sort of eating disorder or disordered eating? Do those worlds collide often? Yeah, I think so. I think for sure. I think a lot of that is perpetuated by a lot of the weight stigma that the PCOS patients have endured. So yeah, and just like what's going on physiologically, like just Mm -hmm. the being more insulin resistant might cause maybe some more that those binges or because I've had friends and like, to be completely honest. um, Yeah, like I've had friends that have gone in and doctors and they've been like, start this like 1200 calorie diet. And so it's just like doing that almost like is going to perpetuate disordered eating or an eating disorder if it's not already there. So yeah, something that is just 
so missed, I think, and something I'm discovering more on for sure. And then there's a lot of the the self-blame of like, well, I'm at this weight because it's all me, you know, and just, yeah, kind of an unfortunate piece that's missed. And it's missed a lot in women until they're trying to get pregnant too. I mean, it's kind of both ends, right? When, and that's something I've been regularly screening for is like, are your periods regular? Cause I think a lot of times in young women that are under fueling, they're going to miss their periods. And like, to be completely honest and transparent, that happened to me when I was playing basketball a lot. I went in to my doctor and I was like, I'm not having them regularly. She's like, Oh, you're probably just super active. No, 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 no follow up from there. So you can see how that. Like, right. It's yeah. so common though. Yeah. So common. And I'm like, that should not be normal. Why is that a normal thing? And then on the other side of it too, like, okay, well we need to be screening for yeah. Underfueling, but then also maybe it's not that. And maybe it's more PCOS because and PCOS is something that's like very understudied as well. And it's like, I don't get exactly why, because it leads to all these other issues down the road. It can cause like your cholesterol levels, you know, lead to diabetes, like more anxiety, more depression. It's like, why aren't we more aware of some of these things? So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And what about PCOS is related to weight? What do you mean? (laughs) Um, There's so much in our culture that says weight is the cause Mm. of some of our medical diagnoses. Yeah. And I guess, I guess, are you asking like what, like the weight stigma around it a little bit? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of times and not all the time with PCOS, um, it's, it's kind of the weight stigma even shows up in the diagnosis because there's lean PCOS and then there's just like PCOS. Oh, um, I didn't even know that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it even shows up in the diagnosis there. So a lot of times with the PCOS, women will be like, quote unquote, in like the overweight or obesity category. And a lot of the times the doctors are just like your frontline advice is going to be to lose weight because that's just going to help with that insulin sensitivity even though it's like, well, there's also underlying things going on. Often we're like overlooking like eating patterns, behavioral things, stress, sleep, exercise. And a lot of times it's just like women can be on those like super like 1200 calorie diets. And just because of the nature of PCOS, the hormonal imbalances, the insulin resistance, they're not going to see that weight loss. And then it's like, okay, I'm doing everything my doctor told me to. I'm starving myself essentially. and I'm not seeing this. What am I doing wrong? And then it becomes yeah. a blame cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I was going to go back to that insurance. Do you have to report? And this comes from a curiosity because I don't include insurance or I don't private pay with mm-hmm. the clients that I see. I do offer some sliding scale and a couple of free, free pro bono spots. But what I'm understanding is that insurance requires dietitians to put BMI and ideal body weight. And you have to, you have to use diagnoses of quote obesity. Yeah. So this would almost be a good question from a biller. From my understanding, a lot of insurances will have preventative care. So that's what we diagnose for for, or use the code for first. So for example, Cigna usually has like three preventative visits a year. So okay. we'll bill for those first. And then if we continue with sessions, sometimes we do have to look at that BMI and it's like, 
we're kind of playing that game, I guess, mm-hmm. to be able to like provide that, that person, yeah. that continued care. Another kind of work around that we can do sometimes is like history of heart disease, mm-hmm. yeah. diabetes or something like that. But yes, it is something that my billers look at and see, and, and it is, it is kind of like you have to play that game a little bit. Yeah. Oh, Abby, go ahead. We are, we're the same way. And it's almost, especially for something like Cigna, if you get your three visits and then it's like, well, what other diagnosis can we come up with and like slap yeah. this on here just to get you covered? But what's nice about Blue Cross is they will cover for just specifically nutrition counseling mm. and like unlimited visits. So that's incredible, but they're hard to get. And then not all of the other insurances will do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, about three years ago when I was leaving the children's hospital, I was the person that was the case, the the leader in Blue Cross Blue Shield. I was also my nurse when I was a when I was having my first baby. Um, so I've known her for a really long time. But she said, Beth, you Kansas City Blue Cross Blue Shield will never cover eating disorder care. Mm-hmm. And um that was three years ago. So obviously things can change, but I don't I wish that I knew her private number because she was retiring at the time to reach out to her and and ask like, why, what is going on in there? Can we have an advocate in the eating disorders world? And I think Cigna is really good about sending their insurance folks to eating disorders conferences to learn. One of the criticisms of one of the psychiatrists was when they were doing a peer-to-peer to try to get more coverage for a patient And they were on the phone with whoever the insurance company was and the insurance company denies and denies and denies. And the doctor said, and this is Dr. Delia Aldridge. I'll just give her a shout out. She Mm -hmm. said, are you a CEDS? Are you certified? And of course the person on the other end said no. And she said, this is not a peer to peer. Mm -hmm. So it's really, we have to advocate for that. And and Ariel, I appreciate you sharing some of the, you know, we've got to play that game and you're not alone. Other treatment centers. So for binge eating disorder, we know that there were three major treatment centers that had come up and they have all gone down over the years. And part of it is, I mean, they have to do the whole game of, of weighing someone with binge eating disorder. Like weight is not the freaking goal here. Yeah. It is truly not. It is so frustrating because it takes like, what's the root of the issue? That's what we need to get to. And, and the weight stigma is just so pervasive. I did not know about lean PCOS and Yeah. Yeah. And I think even something that I learned recently too was in like complete transparency, I went to my doctor and like, I'm quote unquote in the overweight category. So I looked at my patient portal and it said that she had counseled me in whatever that Z code is. And I was like, no, she did not. (laughs) Also, if she did, I would have had something to say about it. Um, But it is like a billing thing because they get reimbursed more by putting that Z code in there and saying that yeah. they can be on it. Yeah. So they're playing. We have game. a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a lot of work to do for sure. Yeah. Well, Ariel, this has been so great. I just really appreciate your perspective. You've been in the field long enough to get your feet wet and to realize what learning needs to happen and what you were trained up on 
and how helpful it was in helping you get to this place. And also you've given some really great resources to folks who are listening to this, who are who are maybe just starting in the field or maybe realizing that they're seeing patients. And I get a lot of supervisees who will reach out and say, I am a general dietitian in outpatient practice. And I think I'm seeing, I'm screening for, for eating disorders, which by the way, bravo to you who are doing that. Many don't do that. And even if you don't do that, at least you know what you're looking for to start moving towards treating someone from an eating disorder informed lens. Um, and then when they, when, or if they aren't progressing, then when to get them to a specialist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it so much being able to talk to you guys. It kind of a little intimidating with the awesome, like lineup that you all have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're a part of that awesome lineup. Believe me. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. So before we let you go, our last question, taking yourself back to just getting into eating disorders, what do you wish you would have known then that you know now? Um, oh gosh. I know. Um, Take your time. It's kind of <laughs> a big one. Yeah. I think, and maybe this is like, even like new dietitian graduate too, was like, I don't need to know all the things. I don't need to provide all the answers to my clients. Like it's okay when a client asks me a question and like completely stumps me to be like, I don't know. That's a great question. And not pretend like I know for my credentials sake, you know, to be like, I know all the things you've come to the expert, but to be more humble and be like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so I think that like kind of in general, not, not just eating disorders, but with, with, kind of in the field in general and going throughout my career and being able to ask those questions and Beth kind of working with you, I think kind of some of the calls we've been on and like just your like constant curiosity and being like, I haven't heard of that. Tell me about that. I'm like, I want to be like that where I'm like, yeah, kind of being able to ask those questions and being vulnerable in that sense and being like, tell me more about that. I want to learn more about that. Mm, And I love the way you described holding your assumptions, holding your advice. Those are your words. And that was really really rich and and helpful to anyone who I I mentioned, I I don't know if it was to Abby, but when a therapist that I'm in a peer consult group with was told when she was a brand new therapist that her supervisor said, don't shoot your whole wad in the first visit because we have all these great ideas and we've learned so much and we want to share so much. And it's like that, that what you said, hold my assumptions, hold my advice and save space for their experience and not making any assumptions on what their experience is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a constant back and forth, but yeah, trying to do that for sure. And where can our listeners find you? What's your Instagram handle, your website name, all of that good stuff? Yeah. So on Instagram, Tasty Balance Dietitian, try and get on there. Like Beth said, kind of (laughs) wanting to have that balance with personal and work life. So my website is thetastybalance.com. Those are kind of the two main places that you can find me. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ariel. Yeah, thank you. Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at bethherrell.com professionals.